Hello, friends, and welcome once again to the Coffee and Beer Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Penizzato, here with the good doctor, Mr. Mike Groman. Our guest today is going to be Torin Miller, our Director of Policy at the National Deer Association. We have said many times we've got to get Torin on the show, and we are actually going to deliver him today and get him on the show. You know, he's a really big deal, by the way, and, uh, you know, working with his agent makes it hard to schedule him, so... Uh, Mike, yeah, I, I warned you that this would be a difficult get, but we finally landed the big fish. As humble as he is, I'm surprised that he actually has an agent. But if you say he does, then I will agree with you. Oh, yeah. I mean, just believe everything I say. I'm a show host. I would never, never make a fib. But at any rate, yeah, we're going to have Torn on the show today and look forward to talking with him. Our sponsor today is Outdoor Underwriters. And you might be saying, well, what is Outdoor Underwriters? Well, Outdoor Underwriters is who we work with to sell hunt club insurance. And we sell a lot of policies and I'm using them today as our sponsor because right now we're in the renewal period for uh, folks that already get policies through us. So this is hunt club liability. Uh, So Outdoor Underwriters uh, serves a diverse group of landowners, foresters, forestry associations, uh, hunting clubs, individual hunting clubs, large corporate landowners, anybody that wants to protect themselves from liability on their property, uh, please go to... Uh, well, you can you can go right to their website. It's uh, Outdoor Und, so O-U-T-D-O-O-R-U-N-D.com, or you can find it through the National Deer Association website as well and purchase hunt club insurance. And Outdoor Underwriters, in addition to being our provider, is also very generous to our organization and others in terms of things that they sponsor and things that they're involved in. So we've been working with these folks for a long time. And they're great to work with. So if you are ever considering hunt club insurance, you're a large landowner and and interested in insurance, be sure to check that out. So thanks again to our friends at Outdoor Underwriters. Uh, Ask NDA anything reminder. Now the bar has been set pretty high. We had three really good questions last time. I just put the hats out. So they're, they're in the mail, which is a good thing. And the next episode, we're gonna be taking your questions. So please send them and uh, get a chance to win a hat. And I just actually got in touch with April Robertson, who handles uh, getting me this stuff from Georgia. And so I said, April, I'm running low on hats and I'm running low on decals, hook me up. And so she is gonna hook me up. That's another little secret, by the way, doctor. Uh, I usually will slip in an NDA decal with that hat. So it's a little, little icing on the cake. I did not know that. So people are getting even a bonus. So even more incentive, everybody. That's it. Get your questions in. And Mike doesn't want me harassing you next episode. So yeah, I look forward to getting your questions. Ask NDA anything. Another thing going on at NDA, it's always busy. We used to think there was a slow time. Well, that's not really true. We have a shotgun sweepstakes going on with our friends at Weatherby. Another good NDA sponsor. You have six chances to win a Weatherby shotgun. And when you hear the term Weatherby, that uh, to me signifies quality. I own a Weatherby firearm, and it's very high quality, and I really enjoy it, and we're giving away six of them. So go to DeerAssociation.com and jump in on that sweepstakes and have a chance to win one. We would love to send you one. Not that hats aren't cool, but for me, I'd be more than happy to have a shotgun show up in my mail, Mike. I agree. I'd take a shotgun over a hat any day. Hats are a funny thing, though. I was telling April this the other day when I was getting the order in, like, when you see people, it's mostly like, hey, how do I get that hat? How do I get that hat? So hats are like the one thing. If you didn't sell anything else but you sold hats, you're always going to sell them. Mm-hmm. That's true. I mean, well, you and I are, uh, you know, challenged in regards to the superficial side of our skulls in regards to hair quantity. So we use hats a lot to protect ourselves from the sun. And um, I guess my if you're a younger individual, my son, he uses hats as like a fashion statement. So I could see where, yes, hats are probably never going to be out of style. Well, one thing you and I don't have to worry about is making any kind of statement about fashion. And I would say that we are more than challenged in terms of the amount of hair on our heads. We've actually waved the white flag. We were challenged. (laughs) Yeah. We were challenged, you know, 15 years ago, we were challenged. (laughs) We've lost the challenge, and now we're both uh, shaved bald. So there you have it. All right. Enough of this nonsense. Hey, we're going to come back after the interview with Torin, and we're going to talk about 
our recent hunting exploits, some habitat work we got going on, and uh, some other things. So stick around after the interview to catch that. But for now, let's go ahead and bring in our guest, Mr. Torin Miller. Torin Miller, NDA's Director of Policy, joins us here on the show. Now, I've been threatening to do this for several episodes. We get into an issue and I say, you know, we need to have Torin Miller on the show. Well, we've actually dropped to, dropped to our lowest level and have decided <laughs> to do it. Now, in all seriousness, Torin, thank you so much for, for jumping on the show here. And, uh, you know, my introduction wasn't terribly flattering. I'll give you a chance to introduce yourself. Tell us about <laughs> Torin. Yeah. Uh, so my name is Torin Miller. I'm the Director of Policy here at the National Deer Association. Um, what that basically means is that I handle all of our policy and legislative efforts at the local, state, and federal levels. Um, so anything that impacts uh, deer, deer habitat, hunters, or even broad conservation topics, uh, I try to stay on top of that and you know, engage on behalf of the organization and engage on behalf of our members or our branches. Um, and I got here uh, through sort of a serendipitous path. Um, prior to officially becoming an employee, I was an intern at the National Deer Alliance. And I also interned at the Quality Deer Management Association. So I had interned for both organizations previously. Um, when I graduated from law school in 2019, uh, Nick brought me on at the National Deer Alliance as a policy and outreach coordinator. Um, and shortly thereafter, the, the talks for the merger sort of began and I got to be a part of that process and sort of help shape what the, the new organization was going to look like. And Nick, for better or worse, decided to bring me along for the ride and keep me on board and uh, now serve as the director of policy for what's the, the new combined organization. You know, as you're telling that story, Torin, I was, I was just thinking of something. You have the distinction of being the only person on the face of the earth that worked both for the National Deer Alliance and the Quality Deer Management Association, because technically I never worked for QDMA. And so somewhere, uh, sure. I know someone that puts together Trivial Pursuit or something like that. You're probably going to be a, a trivia question. <laughs> yeah, uh, and nobody will get the answer right. They'll be like, who? <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, I want to ask you about your education background because a lot of times we get people that ask us, well, how do I get a job like that? What's your background? And you have kind of a unique background, so why don't you tell us about that? Yeah. Um, so my bachelor's degree is in wildlife and fishery science from, from Penn State, and I actually grew up in central Pennsylvania, just side, outside of State College, where Penn State University is, um, and pretty much knew that I was going to end up at Penn State studying something. And, you know, I come from the, the same background that you both, two both do, and, you know, many sort of rural Pennsylvania kids do, uh, growing up hunting, fishing, just generally spending a lot of time outside in nature in the woods and so naturally developed a passion for for wildlife and so that led me to Penn State for wildlife and fishery science with the thinking that I was you know going to be a wildlife biologist of some sort um, you know likely doing field work or uh, working in a lab setting uh, but as I went through that program um, I became more and more interested in the human dimension side of wildlife management and the policy and the legislation and the social science of it all. And so that's really where I began my focus. And probably halfway through my undergrad degree, I, I began to seriously consider going to law school. And so when graduation came, I decided to do that uh, and went into law school knowing that I wanted to specialize in sort of the environmental and natural resources fields. And um, law degrees are interesting for those who don't know. You you can specialize in school, but your degree is just a general law degree, right? So everyone comes out of, out of law school with this, the same degree. Um, but 
as I went through the law school process, um, you know, I started to think about what potential career paths were out there. And certainly there's big law where you go and work for a, you know, a giant law firm representing big corporations. Uh, there's government. So working with a state or federal agency uh, representing them in various matters. Um, there's private practice or small firms, and then there's sort of this nonprofit world. And it was pretty clear to me that I wanted to end up in the nonprofit world. And it was uh, pretty clear too, that I wanted to, to take sort of a non-traditional career path or legal career path and work more on the policy and advocacy side rather than traditional uh, legal practice. And so it was in, I think, law school when I first connected with Nick at the, at the Deer Alliance and uh, he brought me on and I got some firsthand you know, policy and advocacy experience with him. And then also through law school is when I was with uh, QDMA as an intern. And I did a variety of, of work for them, uh, including outreach and education and some science stuff and some policy stuff as well. Um, and then while I was getting my law degree, I had the opportunity to also get a, a master's at the same time, which uh, actually made both a little easier. It's, it maybe sounds like a bigger challenge than what it was, but um, a lot of the credits transferred back and forth. So I, I got to take some more biology type credits rather than law credits. And so that was nice. Um, so came away from, from law school with both my law degree and my master's in science in wildlife and fisheries. And um, shortly after graduation, I ended up at the, at the um, Deer Alliance. I got to ask myself, why do I always do this? I bring on these highly educated people. I already have to deal with the doctor. Now we got torn here with all these degrees. And then there's just me. I, I just, I, I don't know why I do this. I'm going to have to put a stop to it. Now, now, doctor, while I'm talking about this, we had someone email in, as you know, and they were like, well, what is the doctor a doctor of? Because we always talk about the doctor, and you've said it on a few episodes, but remind people uh, who, what the doctor, what you are a doctor of. All right, so uh, I have two doctorate degrees. Uh, my first one is in physical therapy. I received that one from Temple University in uh, eastern Pennsylvania, and I have my a uh, second doctoral degree in education, and I specialized in curriculum and instruction, and I received that one at the Indiana University of Pennsylvania. So thus, no matter which way you split it, um, you call me the doctor, and that's quite all right. Yeah, we got a guy with two doctorates here. We got a, a, a person with a law degree and two other degrees, and then there's just me. So... Anyway, I guess that's one way. A good host brings credible people to the show. And so maybe that's what I'm doing here. So anyway, uh, no, thank you for that, Torn. But, you know, one thing you left out in your entire introduction, I think this is incredibly important, is, yeah, you're a smart guy and you've, you're very educated, very uh, savvy and aware of the policy work that you do, which is great. But you also are a big time outdoorsman. You and I have fished together. Uh, but and also now that it's turkey season, I'm getting a little tired of you sending me pictures of, oh, yeah, here's my second turkey that I shot this year. So quick rundown. Tell us about your spring and how that went. Yeah, I've been on a little bit of a hot streak the last couple <laughs> a couple of years and feel really fortunate um, to be so. But um, so our turkey season in Pennsylvania always opens around, up around the beginning of May. It's either that, you know, last weekend of April or the first weekend of May, depending on how the dates fall. So this year it was that first full weekend of May, um, I believe, or was it the 28th? Uh, it was the first weekend in May. Yeah. Okay. Wait a minute. And, now, I'm, now I'm questioning, did you actually shoot that turkey in season or did you go out on youth day? Because <laughs> yeah. you're not a youth. I am not a youth. No, whatever opening day was, um, I went out. And my, um, I'm fortunate to have some, some private land here close to home that has been really good for turkey hunting. I do most of my deer hunting on, on public land, but um, I have a private parcel that I can hunt for turkeys and it, it always seems to hold a number of birds. And so my general sort of strategy is to um, find a good spot in the morning, uh, right at first light to hear the birds gobbling on the roost and then sort of pinpoint 
the bird that I think is is most likely to offer an opportunity and then and set up on that bird. So that's what I did uh, opening morning. I got on a tom that was gobbling pretty consistently on the roost and set up between him and one of our food plots. Um, and in that process, a hen had come out on the food plot and the tom eventually worked his way sort of past me out of range onto the food plot and just strutted and gobbled for uh, nearly an hour uh, on that food plot with the hen. And then a Jake had come up to the food plot and the Tom had run him off. And so that Jake sort of circled closer to me and would gobble intermittently. And so I called to the Jake thinking that if I could pull the Jake in closer to me, I might be able to uh, trigger that aggression in the Tom again and get him to move closer. And as I was calling to the Jake, another Tom answered behind me. Um, and right after he gobbled the first time, I heard just the leaves kicking up and, and this Tom and the Jake come running in uh, right to my setup and I was able to shoot that Tom. And so that was, you know, before eight o'clock on opening morning. Um, so very, a very quick morning there. I had a similar experience last year too. Uh, but that's exactly why I buy our second special turkey tag that, that we can get here in Pennsylvania. And so it was about a week and a half later, maybe the second week of May. Uh, I was out again and had a pretty slow morning, uh, a couple gobbles, but not much. And um, in Pennsylvania, we have to be done hunting, at least for the first half of our season, we have to be done hunting by 12 o'clock noon. And so it was about 11 o'clock and I was just decided to do a last ditch effort and sort of circle the property on some of our two track roads and see if I could uh, strike up a gobble. And so I was walking the roads and stopped to call at a location that gave me a little bit of height. So my, my calls could reach out a little farther. And uh, a bird responded, you know, maybe 75 yards off that road. I, I mean, I was just right on top of them. And I, I know better than this, but I hadn't picked out like a tree to sit up on yet or anything. So I was doing the scramble to try to find a tree and figure out where he would come from. And um, I got set up and almost immediately I could hear him spitting and drumming. And so I knew he was really close. Um, and there was a little bit of a, a hill. And so I was set up sort of on top of the hill and I could see in front of me maybe 40 yards and then it popped off uh, downhill and I couldn't see below that. And eventually I could see his tail fan sort of crest the hill and his head, but he wouldn't commit to actually coming up. And he just sort of worked his way back and forth in front of me for a while. And eventually I got him just to come up far enough that I could firm, you know, could confirm that it was a long beard and uh, was able to shoot him, you know, at about 35 or 40 yards. And so that was about 1140 AM. So with about 20 minutes of, of legal hunting time left. So sort of just struck into that one and, and lucked out and was able to close the deal pretty quickly. But so that's the, the story of my hunting season or my turkey season this year. Well, I'm glad you had to at least hunt until noon on the second time out. Uh, so you had to put a little effort in. And I do want to say, for the record, it's the opening day of turkey season for adults this year in Pennsylvania was April 30th. So uh, we do have people from the Pennsylvania Game Commission that listen to this, and it'd be really awkward if we had to have you arrested uh, on the show, <laughs> Torn. So anyway, hey, let's go ahead and jump to policy. And so... First of all, you just came back from Wyoming, so you're well-traveled, too. What were you doing there? Yeah, Wyoming, um, I was asked to serve on a panel um, at, a, at a conference. The conference was being held. It was an annual conference uh, for the Outdoor Writers of America, or the Outdoor Writers Association of America. So basically, it's a trade association of outdoor writers across the country, folks who cover sort of all, all topics, um, hunting, fishing, outdoor recreation, camping, hiking, climbing, uh, you name it. Um, but as part of their, their annual conference, they have, you know, a number of speakers that cover a variety of topics. And one of the topics and the topics that I was asked to serve panelist on was regarding the North American Grasslands Conservation Act. And so this is a piece of legislation that um, the Deer Association got involved in about a year ago or a little more even with with the intent to sort of help promote and introduce uh, a piece of legislation uh, to incentivize private landowners to conserve, protect, enhance uh, grassland habitat across the country. 
And so the goal with, with our panel here was to, to get in front of these outdoor writers and these communicators and explain to them, you know, what it is we're doing, what the bill intends to do, where we're at in the process of the bill and how we can make more people aware of it and gather more support, both um, with the general public and then with law, you know, federal lawmakers too. So it was a great uh, panel. We got to serve alongside some of our, our conservation partners and organizations that we work closely with. And then there was also some landowner representation. And so hopefully uh, those writers took away some good messaging from that and they can help us uh, move this legislation forward. I hear from time to time from people who just don't get the policy matter. So like, why, why should we care about policy? And so for the guy that's on the front lines dealing with policy, to, to the person sitting out there listening, like, you know, I, I almost didn't listen to this episode because I see it's about policy and I don't want to be part of that or that's not important to me. Um, why is it important, Torn? Why is it important that the NDA puts so much effort into policy that impacts deer and hunters? Well, policy is sort of a, a broad term that we use that encompasses a number of different things, um, legislation, rulemaking, and policy are, are in theory all different things, but we use the term policy to sort of encompass all three. Um, all three of those, whether they're you know undertaken via a legislature, whether state or federal, or an agency, state or federal, um, are influenced by public input. And so our role is to be a voice for deer and deer hunters to provide that input. And so we do that on state and federal legislation. We do that on agency rulemaking. And we do that on agency policymaking. Um, your lawmakers, although it doesn't always feel like it, are elected to represent you. And so your voice and your opinion does make a difference when you contact your lawmakers. State and federal agencies by law, when they go through their rulemaking processes, have to have a public comment period. We hear way too often that in those public comment periods, how few people actually submit comments. And so that's all those agencies have to go off of are the, are the few loudest voices that submit comments. That's incredibly important to, to engage in that public comment process. And we do that um, on a you know, whole wide range of items. And so we provide that voice for, for deer and for our members on those issues. And then policymaking is sort of internal guidance on how an agency carries out their rules that they've promulgated. And again, uh, they don't always need or provide public comment on policymaking, but there are ways that groups like ours can influence those policies. And so um, it, it can be a tough sell sometimes, and I completely get that, and I feel that way sometimes. I mean, we fought through the bureaucratic red tape more times than I care to count. Um, but public input, input, public opinion, public advocacy really does make a difference. And we've seen that firsthand uh, in a number of ways. It seems like, well, it doesn't seem like, it really is. Every time we submit an action alert for policy, we get responses. Some are positive, but a lot of them aren't. And so we we jokingly refer to it around the office as hate mail. Like every time Torrin sends a, uh, sends out an alert, we joke about what kind of hate mail he's going to get. And so just in your words, Torrin, why is that not really productive? Like, do we have to agree on all policy issues to like still support the NDA? And, you know, it's just, why is it's, it's complex, but why does it have to go to those levels at times? Well, as you know, deer hunters are incredibly passionate uh, about deer and deer hunting. And so I always try to keep in mind that anytime we get this, this type of response, it's because of the passion that these people have for deer and deer hunting. And I can appreciate that. However, as an organization, we also recognize that we're not going to agree 100% uh, with all of our members on every topic. And that's for a number of reasons. Obviously, um, Politics play a role in it. Um, people, agencies, organizations can sometimes have a difficult time uh, working bipartisanly on a number of issues. And so even if there's a topic that is 
unquestionably best for deer, deer hunters, conservation. If that topic tends to have, um, you know, or a perceived lean to one side of the political aisle, then you're automatically going to get pushback from the other side. You know, and that's unfortunate because conservation does not need to be political and it is not political. And we've seen uh, in state and federal Congresses that conservation issues are as bipartisan as we can possibly get. Um, but yeah, I mean, certainly a number of topics and in a number of states, we tend to get the most hate mail. And as you said, it, it can be kind of predictable um, when we're going to get some stuff back on, on and on what topics. And, you know, I try to be respectful of that. If, if we receive messages that are thoughtful and provide, you know, a, a, another side of the story or an alter, alternative opinion, but they're thought out, they're respectful, then I absolutely am going to reply to that. And, and I, you know, I think I do a good job of that. I think we collectively do a good job of that as take, taking concerns seriously, offering um, rationale for why we've taken the stance we've taken, educating folks on why we've taken that stance. Uh, but every once in a while, we just get an email that comes in and it is almost like an illegible rant um, or clearly politically motivated. And that is not helpful because it's not offering solutions. It's not coming to the table with other thoughts or opinions that are useful, but simply it's just a way for folks, you know, I, I don't know, maybe to voice their own uh, frustrations with the way that our political climate is or, or who knows what else is going on in their lives. But um, just, I think it's important to know that every single decision that we take or every, every position that we take and every decision that we make is based on the best available science that we have and is rooted in a series of position statements that we formulated with our board of directors and which are publicly viewable on our website. And so all of this stuff is already out there for folks to understand, to know, to take a look at, and that guides our decision-making. And I think that provides for consistency in the positions that we take and transparency on how we may react to certain situations. And I think that's important for our members and our supporters or folks who are interested in deer and deer hunting to know uh, so that they can see that stuff right up front and, and see why it is we're taking the positions or the stances that we are. So Torin, based on the description of your job and what you actually do on a day in and day out basis probably requires a lot of reading, a lot of uh, searching and, and paying attention to, you know, what is current at this time to make sure that nothing really slips past you because as Nick has talked about in the past, NDA is a, is a rather small organization. It's, it does big things with a very few number of people. What's the, what's the next best thing or what's the next hot topic that is uh, something that you've had your eye on that you might be dealing with here? Well, there's a couple big things that we're certainly watching. I think the, the largest that's also most imminent is the Recovering America's Wildlife Act. This is a piece of legislation that we've supported the last two Congresses. It was initially, well, in its pretty current form was introduced in the 116th Congress, although forms of this bill have been you know, advocated and introduced over the last three decades. Uh, but it was introduced again in the 117th Congress it has passed the House, or I'm sorry, it has been introduced in the House and passed through House committee, awaiting a full House vote. And the Senate version was also introduced in the Senate and passed Senate committee and is waiting for a full Senate vote. Bills are, you know, companions in each House or each chamber, essentially the same bill. But what this legislation does is provide $1.3 billion to states to carry out state wildlife action plans. These are plans that states put in place to help manage, conserve, protect uh, state identified at risk species. It's something like 12,000 species nationwide. And this bill provides money to states to take care of those species and their habitats. Um, another big important part of this bill is that it provides almost a uh, hundred million to tribal agencies to do the same thing on tribal lands. And this would be the first dedicated funding to tribes uh, to, to manage these uh, action plans and these at-risk species. So uh, we are, as I said, it's past committee in both chambers and we're awaiting a floor vote in one or the other. 
And it's likely that that's going to happen uh, in the next couple weeks. And so it's sort of, this bill sort of follows on the coattails of some other big conservation bills that have, have passed recently. Um, it's incredibly bipartisan in both the House and the Senate. I think uh, the, the work to be done now is to just figure out sort of the pay-fors and the ultimate funding and what those numbers look like. But otherwise it's poised to, to get a vote uh, on the floor of either the House or Senate and then, and then move forward. So that's sort of the, the most imminent thing. And it's also one of the largest pieces of legislation that we're watching. And 1.3 billion plus another 100 million is, is a big thing. But I'm gonna play devil's advocate here because a lot of times people don't read between the lines, but I did hear you say that the 1.3 billion is for state identified species that are in jeopardy. So if someone said, were to say to you, well, in Pennsylvania, you know, who really cares about the three-eyed toad or the hellbender or something along those lines? I, I'm a deer hunter. What would you say to something, someone that kind of comes at you with a, a response like that? Well, deer aren't, aren't in danger how's this going to really help me? Right. Well, and so this, this legislation is certainly more targeted and certainly targeted at species, but let's say we're talking about, you know, a, a toad or the hellbender or something like that. Um, likely one of the ways that the money is going to benefit those species is to improve their habitat. And so that might be uh, improving water quality in a particular drainage or improving water quality in a particular part of the state or restoring wetlands in that part of the state. And all of that has a ripple effect when you take those actions that are very targeted at one species, they're going to benefit a multitude of other species that also call those places home. And that impact just builds and builds and builds upon itself. And so that's really how it impacts deer. Um, but you know, I think as deer hunters, we also need to have that bigger conservation vision in mind and understand that the system is holistic and it's much bigger than deer and that we need to have healthy habitat across the ecosystem uh, for the habitat and ecosystem to also be healthy for deer. Torn, real quick, what is the latest with the CWD Resource and Management Act? So that bill uh, was originally introduced in the House last fall, moved very quickly. Uh, it was like a month from introduction to full House passage. It passed the House of Representatives last fall in December, or last you know, winter in December of 2021. Um, we got Senate introduction of a Senate companion bill, which uh, is essentially the same language. Um, the only difference, uh, the Senate Legislative Council lawyers, you know, change things just to fit their personal preference as lawyers often do. Uh, but substantively, the, the bill is exactly the same. Uh, it was just introduced uh, about a month ago, so in late April. Um, and we are waiting for a Senate hearing on that bill. Um, it's unclear whether the bill will move forward on its own and, and pass as its own standalone bill or whether it'll get wrapped up into you know, a larger bill package and get passed that way. Um, but right now, what we're hearing is that there's no issues with the language um, and no concerns there. It's really just a matter of deciding what the best path forward is. So I need to, I need to point out here that on this show, we've had a couple interesting things happen. We've had an attorney poke fun at attorneys, which is, that's good. And we've had uh, the doctor introduce the three-eyed toad. So... <laughs> This is great. I mean, this is high quality stuff here. I love it. Uh, Torn, let me ask you this. Before I do that, I just want to kick back to something you talked about earlier. You were talking about, uh, you know, sometimes if someone disagrees with an issue, they write in and they, you know, they hate everything then. They hate, they hate that issue. They hate us now because we took a position. And one of the more popular, or there's two things actually that almost always generate this one, anything related to Sunday hunting in a state that doesn't have it, even though overwhelmingly, here's a prime example, overwhelmingly it polls, uh, we use Pennsylvania as an example, that people want to have Sunday hunting. But yet we, every time we put it out there, we have people that say they hate it, they don't want it, and they give all these reasons. And then whenever we say, well, then just don't go hunting on Sunday, because you don't have to go hunting on Sunday. And then they don't like that answer either. They're mad at us because what they really want is they don't want other people to go hunting on Sunday either. <laughs> so uh, there's that that part of the issue. Uh, and then we have other people that say, well, 
you know, me and my buddies, we we all talk, and none of us none of us want it. You know, I've never talked to anybody that wants Sunday hunting. Well, because you're talking in your own <laughs> circle of friends that feel that way. So that's just one example. And then the other thing is, anytime you introduce any kind of a weapon related thing, like crossbows and bows and uh, even muzzle loaders, it just gets, gets off the rails. So, uh, folks, if you're one of those people, please be patient. Uh, there's a reason we take positions we do. We're always, though, we are always, don't get me wrong, always happy to hear contrary positions on those as long as they are respectful. And unfortunately, they aren't all <laughs> respectful <laughs> and can be quite entertaining and colorful at times. So, um, all right, off my soapbox, back to our guest, Torn, in general terms, you're sitting there, you're a person that really doesn't participate a lot in the policy game, but maybe you, you would. What can you do? I mean, we make it pretty easy, don't we? We try to, and we try to make it uh, even easier. One of our, our top priorities of our strategic plan after the merger was to improve our advocacy experience for our members. And the number one way we wanted to do that was to take a hard look at our advocacy software and determine uh, if we needed to make a switch and if so, what that switch looked like. And so I'm you know, pleased to announce that Early in 2022, we made an official switch to a new advocacy software. Um, if you receive our magazine, uh, Quality Whitetails, I provided an update uh, in our last policy uh, article in the, it would have been, I guess, the April issue. Um, but we selected a software called Full Send, um, which we selected for a number of reasons, but one of the largest was the great customer service by the company that, that makes the software. And then the ability to really uh, tailor that software to work the way that we need it to work. And so all of our uh, action alerts since the beginning of the year have been on this new software. And it's really incredibly easy to take action. So uh, we'll send out a dedicated e-blast uh, to whatever state the legislation is, is in or whatever state the policy is in, or if it's federal, we'll send it uh, sometimes to our full email list. But Really, it's once you get that email in your inbox, you click, it takes you to a page that describes what we're asking you to do and what we need help with. One more click and you are on the Advocacy Center website that, again, has all the information that you would need to know. But if you have like autofill set up on your web browser, it's literally like one click, fill in your information. We just need your name and your address so we know what lawmakers to send your letter to, and then you hit submit and your letter gets uh, submitted on your behalf. And um, I think that user experience has been uh, pretty seamless. We've seen great engagement rates. Um, that's another nice thing with this new software is it's been much easier, easier for us to track uh, our engagement so we can see exactly how many people are, are clicking through and then how many people are taking action and how many lawmakers are are receiving letters or how many letters uh, state or federal agencies are receiving from our members. And so we've seen those increase. We've been see, seeing the click rates increase. So people actually looking at what it is that we're asking them to look at. And then the click through rates, which are um, how, how many people have actually taken action and submitted letters. And so that's, I think, the easiest way. It's, you know, the whole process, it takes well under a minute uh, to, to go from start to finish. Um, and so, you know, hopefully you, you folks who have taken action can, can spread the word on how easy that is. And if you haven't yet, please, the next time you see one, just try it out and you'll see exactly how easy it is. Well, there you have it, folks. It doesn't get any easier than that to participate in policy through the NDA. And uh, Torin, thank you so much for being on. As I said, we threatened this many times. We finally got you on here. Appreciate you taking us through the latest issues. And by the way, folks, if you want to send Torin a nasty letter, I encourage you to do that. You can do that at Torin at DeerAssociation.com. And uh, no, seriously, right? If you know of an issue, one thing that, that we didn't mention here is that we don't always know of all the issues, especially something springs up very locally that we're not aware of or that we haven't seen. Let us know. Send Torin an email and we'll get on it. Uh, Torin at DeerAssociation.com. All right, Torin. Appreciate it. Yep. We'll let you get back to your policy work. Thank you. Thank you. And yeah, I'll just echo what you said there, Nick. There's been plenty of times where we've taken action um, and we've been alerted to do so by members who are keeping an eye out. So that's incredibly important. We work closely with our branches on a number of issues. So 
as things pop up, as Nick said, especially at the local or state levels, please reach out and let us know. And hopefully I can tell you that we're already aware of it or already working on it, but if not, we'll work together to, to see what the next steps are. It was nice to finally get Torrin on the show. We could have spent the entire time just talking about all the issues because as I always tell people, there are probably a hundred issues at any given time that impact deer and wildlife in some way. And I'm sure that's the case right now, but we just focused on a few. But I thought also one of the things I like to do when we bring NDA staff on is give you a chance to get to know them a little bit. And so you got a chance to see a little bit of Torrin's personality and you know that he's a, a pretty darn good turkey hunter. And uh, we're just a little bit jealous of that. So uh, at any rate, good to have Torn on. And, um, you know, Mike, policy is a thing. I think back to before I was even really involved in this work as a young hunter. I don't want to say I was interested in policy, but I was certainly aware of it. And I, I wanted to participate when I could. Well, and I think that is maybe the potentially biggest problem that we do see is the fact that people don't know how to take that first step. And I liked how Torn has been working on making that first step so much easier for everyone and totally intuitive where it just takes a matter of a few clicks, but yet you're, you're doing a lot of good with a minimal amount of effort as, as, a, as a member or as someone that wants to get involved in policy. Yes, everybody's busy and we get it and we try to make it easy and I think we have made it easier. So yeah, if you haven't participated in policy yet, go to our website, deerassociation.com, look at our policy and advocacy area of the website and it's like it's like Torrance said, it's real easy to participate. So check that out. Oh Mike, B team story. <laughs> I was waiting for this one. Yeah. I'm not I'm not shy about telling people when I miss because I think that uh, I think it's healthy, right? Like nobody's perfect out there. If anybody has been hunting any length of time and have not had a miss, then and we, we talked about this with Sean Luchtel, right? I mean, Sean, he's a, he's a pro and does this for a living and misses a bunch. And I think it makes for better shows. Uh, but yeah, I had a miss the other day. I had turkeys set up where I, once again, for like the third or fourth time this season, I had walked right under the birds. <laughs> and this time I'm going to blame it on vegetation being on the trees and they sounded further away than what they were. Uh, I got out to my place and they were gobbling and I moved in on them. And, but luckily though, I, I was able to be lucky enough that I had two gobblers that were in the tree still, but they didn't see me. And uh, the one flew down right in front of me. And really I, I did have a shot at it, but I didn't even think about taking it because I thought he would see my decoy and then just come right in for an easier shot. But in hindsight, the way things worked out, I probably should have taken that shot because that gobbler went up and joined the other gobbler on the hillside. And I ended up in a cat and mouse game where we're kind of like yo-yoing. They're, they're going out, they're coming in, they're going out and coming in. I had some terrain in front of me that they would, they would not poke their heads up over because they probably were educated birds at this point. And just about the time I decided to make a, a little bit of a move myself and get a better vantage point, uh, one of those things gobbled and he was right on top of me and I tried to plop my rear end down and get ready and he poked his head up to where I could see it and it was like it was way too close and way too fast and uh, needless to say I'm pretty sure I shot right over the turkey's head and then watched him fly off so uh, this is uh, a second miss in three years Mike and I, I'm gonna say I will I'm gonna make a little bit of an excuse or defend myself it wasn't like the last one where I called the turkey in and he came strutting right in beautifully and I missed. Like there's no excuse in that situation. This was a little bit different. Yeah, this one was hard. And, and when you actually talked about the longer version of the story to me that day, you were at a loss when, when turkeys do that yo-yoing, it really helps to have a second person there that you could have then moved up. I could have um, moved back away from them, called again, and when they would have came in and came up over, they would have been in a much easier position for a better shot. So um, again, yes, it was a miss and um, that goes into your L column. I get you, but uh, it, it was a tough situation. Well, then the very next morning I go back out and I do the same thing. I walk right in beside the birds, like nothing's gobbling immediately. And I, so I'm like, all right, I'm going to sneak down that road and get a little closer to where they were the other day. And I do that. And then a, a 
a crow comes by and then lo and behold, I get a gobble right beside me. And so again, I found myself in a no-win situation. I've done that way too many times this year. So uh, I don't know. We got a few days left in our season. Uh, thinking about whether or not I got the the power to get myself back out there or not. And you've been out of the woods a little bit. So I don't know. What are you thinking? Um, yeah, I'm on the mend. I actually, you know, had a procedure and I'm, you know, on some restrictions right now. So um, this was not the turkey season that I planned when I had it um, sketched out at the beginning of the, you know, beginning of the year, but it is what it is. And, you know, we got to take care of our health because, you know, one season is just one season. And at the end of the day, I want to have a lot more of them. And so taking care of ourselves is, is the way that we need to do that, not just for hunting, but for our family and, and for our own, you know, well-being as well. So, um, yeah, we'll have to talk about that. I mean, if I go again, I'm probably going to be pretty limited on my mobility. Well, we'll have to figure it out. I, I'm one of these people that like, ah, I'm done. I'm tired. But then I'm like, I just can't give up. I got to keep trying. <laughs> so uh, we'll see. Uh, we'll see about that. Uh, habitat work. I've been able to get out and I'm late. I'm late to the game. I'm mad at myself, but it is what it is with coaching baseball and having a very busy job. Uh, I am just now at the end of May getting out and breaking ground in some areas that I wanted to get planted in buckwheat. And so it's going to be late planted buckwheat, but it is what it is. Like Mike, you got to, sometimes you just got to squeeze this stuff in around life. You do. And and it works. Uh, the one good thing is buckwheat is a very tolerant seed. And so I think uh, if we get enough rain and we don't run into one of our classic Pennsylvania droughts, I think everything will be fine for you. Well, I'm looking forward to trying it. Like I said, I've been breaking up some ground and I need to get out and touch it up a little bit, get it called a pack. That Ferminator has been just such a a godsend. I will say this is something funny that kind of happened where my land is. I'm not anywhere near any agriculture. And so I've never thought about for some of my bigger areas to stop and talk to a farmer about, hey, would you maybe come over and disc this for me? Because there aren't any around. Well, I'm out there with my little Ferminator. I'm in one of my biggest areas and I'm buzzing along on my ATV. And while I'm doing it, this freaking disc behind a big tractor goes up my road. And you know where this road is, Mike. Yeah, and I was on. like, wow, oh man, I should have stopped that guy. And then he was out of sight. And then I'm still working. Well, then he turned and he was coming back the other way about a half hour later. And I actually waved my arm at him. And uh, he didn't really, he just waved at me like as if I was waving. And uh, <laughs> I was going to see if he would stop and finish disking that up for me. I'd be like, hey, I'll throw you some cash if you don't mind disking this up for me. But uh, at any rate, um, yeah, I have some work to do. I'd like to get that seed planted. And I was thinking it won't be long after that. It won't be long. We start prepping uh, plots for the fall. Right, right. I mean, it's 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 a nonstop thing. I mean, I, I remember Dr. Craig Harper. He he says it's you know it's habitat work or how what do you want to call it? Food plotting. It's not an event. It's a lifestyle, and it's something that you have to keep up with and keep after because we enjoy it. But to get the results that you want, you do have to stay consistent with with it. And and you said life gets in the way a lot of times, but Sometimes, and I guess the good thing is, is there's a lot of resources out there that you can rely on as backup plans, because technically, if you want to have any type of success with this, you better have a plan A, a plan B, and a plan C because of of life. Yeah, that's for sure. And also, I think some luck. You mentioned rain earlier. That's something. But I also had some luck. The plots that I planted last year for the fall... I didn't realize that apparently there was a good amount of crimson clover mixed in with those um, mixes and it didn't germinate in the fall, but everything else did. So the plots still look great and they performed well. Well, lo and behold, this spring, all of a sudden I've got this beautiful crimson clover all over my food plots. So, uh, number one, it's good to know that crimson clover can survive in our climate. I was worried it'd be a little cold. And number two, that's just sort of good to know, right? If you plant that stuff in the fall, it may not come up, but it very well could come up in the spring. Yeah. I have a lot of holdover seeds that, um, I don't want to call them volunteer because they never came to maturity and seeded, reseeded the plot, but um, they lay dormant and um, provided some very early green cover in the early part of the year when I needed it the most. So um, I'll always take those little, little victories. Yeah. Little victories. Hey, one quick story too. I forgot this when I was talking about turkey hunting. Uh, I walked face to face with a bear the other morning. That is right. That's right. (laughs) 
uh, literally walking. Uh, I parked my truck and was walking up toward my little garage, and I'm looking, and out of the corner of my eye, here comes this bear just walking along. <laughs> Had no idea I was there, and we're there. Look, we're 30 yards apart, and he stops, and he's looking at me, and I'm looking at him. And I'm trying to get my video camera fired up, of course, because he's right there. Like I can clearly see two ear tags in his ear. I estimated him probably around 300 pounds, so he's not a little bear. And then he finally figures out he's in trouble and then runs down over the hill. Well, that was really cool. I enjoyed that encounter. But I was telling our local game warden about it, and he was saying, well, you know, I, I need to trap some more bears for processing. And he said, would you mind if I set up, uh, put a trap out there? I'm like, no, that would be awesome. I'd love to do that. So anyway, uh, we don't have the trap out there yet, but he did come over and we're prepping the site and sort of getting the bears used to coming in and eating cake and donuts and all the good stuff that he gets from the local grocery stores. And then eventually we'll get a trap in there. So I'd like to keep folks posted on on how that ends up. So that's an interesting project, Mike. I didn't think I'd be getting involved in. Yeah, that is. And I will have to say, clarify, when, he, when the game warden talks about processing, he's not going to be... Uh, harvesting that bear and taking it to the processor. It is just data collection for <laughs> the game commission. Yeah, that's a good point. You, we throw that term processing around loosely. And then he also said, if I do catch one, do you want it re just re released again right here? I said, yeah, I would, because I like seeing them. And I do buy a bear tag each year. I don't take it terribly seriously, but uh, it'd be good to, good to have them around. They don't bother me at all, so... All right, folks, with that, I think we're going to go ahead and call it a show. We appreciate you listening. If you uh, haven't already, tell your friends about the Coffee and Deer podcast. We think it's a good show. We get good feedback, but we always want to grow our listeners. And uh, so if they're interested in sort of a laid back uh, atmosphere of a podcast, where we're just sort of talking deer hunting, deer related things. I think we're the place for it. So please let them know. Also, if you're a listener but not a joiner yet, consider joining the National Deer Association. Uh, get $5 off by using the promo code PODCAST. It doesn't have to be capital or lowercase. Either way will work. So use the promo code PODCAST when you check out, and it'll be 30 bucks instead of 35 Thanks again, folks, for listening. We appreciate you. National Deer Association, where we are united for deer. <laughs>